I'm Kevin Davis, and this is the Catholic Family Podcast, and I'm happy to be joined today by Dominic from Glorious Heritage Films, as well as Maccabean Uprising over on YouTube. And we had a really fascinating interview a couple months ago now that that kind of dealt with the. I'll let him explain it, but it's 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 a it's a mouthful for me. But I guess the the mirroring of the Old Testament in the New Testament, I guess you could say. And today we're going to talk about something very similar, kind of. But but I guess it's more like again I'm gonna let him describe it. But I think it's the more of the mirroring of the Gospels and the Church, and kind of the the title of the show being kind of the the passion of the Church and how that reflects the passion of Christ. I'm very interested in it. Um, it's something that again it's already above my head, as you can tell. As I give oh this, come on, as I give this introduction, it's kind of like okay, yeah. wait, what are we talking about again yeah. today, Dominic? You're fine. <laughs> Excuse yeah. me, but. But no, it's it's really fascinating. I'm really excited for it. And I do want to say again before we get going, this yeah. is this is conjecture. Dominic will say that as well. This is not something that you your your faith is not based on. This is not something you have to believe. We are both laymen who are just having a conversation here. I think that's always important to say with topics like these that that you don't have to panic about this. You don't have to believe any of it. But it is exceptionally interesting, and it's something that I think more and more people are are finding that Dominic's got some pretty good pretty good points here and some really interesting stuff that he's found, I think, through years of research. So, Dominic, after that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it over to you and you can tell us okay. about what exactly sure. we're talking about today. I think you did a great job. I um, You hit the nails on the head. I, um, can you hear me okay? I'm always afraid you can't hear me. Is that pretty good? Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. Okay. Okay. Um, so, great. Yeah. So, last time, um, it was last a month or two, um, uh, I was able to present uh, church history as, uh, as paralleled or prefigured by the Old Testament. And so um, in the seven, seven years of doing that, uh, I started to reflect on the Gospels as well. And I thought, oh, wow, I, I, I wonder if the Gospels also share in that, in that same system. Um, and so um, I also put together a brochure uh, similar to the last one. Um, but this is, this is going to be the, the Gospels themselves as like a whole separate history. Um, um, uh, you know, if you, if you look at the Gospels as not because the Gospels are part of church history because the Gospels are the beginning of our church's history. But if you just simply look at the Gospels from start to finish as one contained um, st uh, story from start to finish. And um, if you look at it that way, then I'm, what I'm saying is, is that it shares in the same uh, manner of parallels uh, in chronological order, uh, just like the Old Testament does with with the church history. I know it's, it starts to get really confusing and I have to break it down slowly, even for myself, um, so I can understand. Um, the intro you gave is very on on point. I get I get that. Um, so okay. So before uh, on the screen here, this is um, uh, a graphical presentation of the Vatican II. I'm starting with Pope Pius XII over on the far left, and then some of the some of the major events of Vatican II, and then below them you'll have the Passion of Christ. And so I want to show here um, the amazing parallels between things. It's really actually kind of beautiful in a sad way because we're talking about Vatican II. Um, but it's still beautiful nonetheless in some kind of, yeah, so uh, I'll get through it. But before I do, though, I was going to, I want to set the premise for this because um, this is only, this is only the end of the Gospels, that the Passion of Christ happens near the end of the Gospels. So I kind of do want to go back a little bit to the beginning parts of the Gospels and also just give a very brief kind of run through of um, of the uh, the beginning parts of the Gospels and how they parallel uh, church history as well. So, oh, I lost my screen here. One second. Okay, right. So um, I, this is going pretty fast, I know, um, but um, uh, you can kind of take a peek and look. So very basically, you have uh, the, the church had an early persecution, like Christ uh, had to flee into Egypt because of the uh, of Herod's uh, slaughtering of the innocents. Um, so too, um, the, the church was hidden during the Roman persecution. Um, and then um, it came out of the persecution, and immediately the anchorites went out into the desert very shortly after that, just like our Lord went out into the desert as well. Um, and then there's, there's a whole lot of other things that happen. You have, uh, these are, by the way, what you're looking at here is all three histories, the Gospels, Old Testament, and Church history, all have these sets of parallels. Um, so um, I do want to go through, well, oh, first, I know what I want to do. I, 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 was, I was going through on St. Sylvester's Feast Day, which was a, a couple weeks ago. There was, I was reading the Missal in the, in the um, St. Andrew's Missal, and I came across this, which I thought was fascinating, because this actually lays the groundwork for what we're talking about. All right, so let me, let me just read it with you. Um, this is, uh, you can, if you have a St. Andrew's Missal, you can see it for yourself. Uh, it says, the church reproduces in her liturgy all phases of the life of her divine founder. When only just born, the infant God is persecuted by Herod, the church still in her cradle sends to heaven 
her first martyr in the person of the deacon Stephen, and her first 25 popes die as martyrs. Returned from Egypt, our Lord Jesus grows in age and wisdom in Nazareth, where the years pass in quietness, and after the pontificate of St. Sylvester I, the church, after 300 years of persecution, begins to enjoy liberty, which is her biggest boon. She spreads into the Roman Empire at the Council of Nicaea, establishes triumphantly against Arius, doctrine and divinity of the Savior, in which liturgy of the season of Christmas is full. So, so you know, what it's, what it's doing there is setting out the parallels right there between early church history and the beginning parts of the Gospels, hmm. right? So we can, we can even have, like, you know, like this— this has been recognized before is my point right um so i just took that logical step of just like going forward in both the gospel history and church history you can just go forward from each and see the parallels continue um so like there's a couple here that i want to um, draw on specifically i'm going to skip ahead quite a bit in church history though um um but um i'll, I'll, I'll let this play while i talk um so in the system of parallels that i was going through right you have um i got to the council of trent and the Council of Trent um, is where, of course, the church condemns modern um, Protestantism. But um, Trent is, is located in the Alps, uh, in the Italian Alps. And I was reading closely the details because now I'm all about the details. And it says that only the closest bishops ge geographically were able to go to Trent for some political reason. But also the, 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 the bishops who are closely aligned to the papacy in terms of like uh, uh, allegiance to the, to the papacy or closeness in terms of how much they communicate or whatever. But, but the point was, is only the closest bishops would have go. So it was very few um, up in the mountains, right? And so there at Trent, the church um, was reforming. That was the Catholic Reformation. So it was reforming itself and, and, and stating very clearly um, in brilliant and brilliant fashion the doctrines of, um, of the faith in a way that would, you know, denounce Protestantism and set the heirs, uh, safeguard the faithful from the heirs of Protestantism. Um, now, at that same time, uh, Pope St. Pius V, he, he came around, I think, a little bit after Trent, but um, he, he's the pope that is credited with wearing all white for the first time because he was a Dominican and um, uh, he, he liked to have a Dominican robe on under his, under his papal gown, I think is how the story goes. But, but from that point on, you'll see pictures of other popes wearing all white, like Pope St. Pius X and onwards. But it was Pope St. Pius V who's credited with that. Okay. Um, another thing that happened around that time was the church um, started to put tabernacles on the altar. All right. I, I didn't know that. I thought that was always universally done throughout all church history. It wasn't. Um, so Pope St. Pius V ordered the tabernacles to be placed on the altar. And then from there, the, the custom spread and it probably was mandated by the church at some point after that. It was codified. Um, in the Middle Ages, I, I understand that sometimes they had big, strong, uh, stone towers to keep the Blessed Sacrament safe. They were apart from the altar. Right. Hmm. So um, I, I'm telling you all these things because um, you see in you see in this the uh, the transfiguration of our Lord. You see, remember he went up the mountain with only his closest, Peter, James, and John, and up the mountain he was transfigured. Um, and so um, there you have the bishops and in, up going into Trent, and there you have the transfiguration of the church in terms of the reformation of her of, of the liturgy and, of the, and the, you know he they codified the liturgy shortly after that with quo primum. Um, and then you also have our Lord's clothes become brilliantly white, right? So there's there's the white papal gown, and there's our Lord's clothes becoming all white, right? Um, and you also have that voice coming from heaven saying, "This is my beloved Son. Listen to, uh, hear ye him, or listen to him." So um, remember, prior to uh, the Council of Trent, the papacy um, was um, was not looked upon so highly uh, because of the Avignon papacy, then the papal schism, and then you had the Renaissance popes who did not give the papacy the best reputation. So those three events, which lasted hundreds of years, downgraded the, the esteem of the papacy. But but the Catholic Reformation, and particularly the Pope St. Pius V, um, brought the papacy back up again into a glorious state. And so there you have the voice at the Transfiguration saying, this is my beloved son, hear you him, listen to him. And here you have in Catholic history now, people are listening to the voice of the papacy yet again, or, or more clearly, or you know what I mean, with more confidence. So um, this, is, this is how these parallels seem to work, right? So th there is a transfiguration, okay? Um, if you go forward in, um, in history even further, you'll have, um, and I want to fly through these because I, I don't have a lot, a lot of graphics for these. I want to fly through these so I can fo focus on the passion, but I do want to touch upon these. Um, so then you have uh, in church history, let's go to, um, I'm sorry if I'm talking so fast. I need to slow down. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, yeah. All right. So you go to church history and we're going to have the spoliation of the papal states, 1870. That is when the Freemasons decided that they were going to um, take all of the church's land and the popes were prisoners in the Vatican. In fact, um, the popes after that deliberately hid themselves in the Vatican in protest. They wouldn't come out on purpose. They could have, but they, they didn't come out on, on purpose in protest of the land being stolen. 
Um, and that that happened, it coincided with Vatican I, right? So Vatican I happens in 1870, and that's when the papacy declares papal infallibility, which outraged the Freemasons and outraged the world. Like, how dare you? Because they, they don't believe he was God's vicar on earth. They don't believe in the, in the guarantee of the Holy Ghost. They just saw a man claiming to speak for God and, and then codifying it with doctrine. And so that outraged them. And so they, um, part of the reason was, uh, that's partly why they, on that specific time, they invaded the papal states and, and, and took over the, um, the, the, the Holy See's land, the papal states. Okay, now, now go back to um, the Gospels now, and you have um, in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 8, our Lord's out in front of the, I think it's Solomon's portico, he's out in front of the temple, and they're having that long discussion about, um, about who he is. And then he says, uh, he says the words, before Abraham was, I am. And they said, who do you think you are? Who do you claim to be? You're just a man. You're claiming to make yourself God, right? And so they picked up stones to throw at him. And then it says in the gospel here, it says this. I'm going to read it here. It says, um, then they took up stones, therefore, to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So he hid himself like the popes hid themselves. And then he went over to uh, across the Jordan after that into uh, Perea, which was like an exile. He went out of Israel. And um, he was over there um, in a separate land. It was the land of the Greeks. And he stayed there until Palm Sunday when he came back again, right? So so here you have the the, the, the church is in exile. Her land is taken from her. Um, they're, they're throwing cannonballs at the Pope, actually, in 1870. And here they're going to throw uh, stones at our Lord. He hid himself. The Popes hid themselves. So, okay, in church history now, you go back and they were without land until the Lateran Treaty of 1929, right? Uh, but then the, the papacy came back in a glorious way with the Lateran Treaty because now the popes would come out again onto the balconies and um, massive crowds now would come out to see the oh, Italians would come out to see the pope. He had great, a great many followers in public again. Um, pope Pius XI in 1925, shortly before that, proclaims the doctrine of Christ the King. So keep that in place for a second. Now go to the Gospels. And on Palm Sunday, our Lord comes back uh, and there's vast crowds there. And um, then they're proclaiming Hosanna and they're throwing down their palms and their coats because they're calling him the king. Hosanna is, Hosanna the son of David is a reference to you're the descendant of David, therefore you're the king. Um, so you have the same same aspects happening, right? So there's Christ the king, here's the proclaiming of king. Um, and then um, after World War II, Pope Pius XII is incredibly popular amongst the Italians. He's credited for saving, saving Italy uh, from destruction. Um, but in both cases in the um, in church history, um, what's what's looming after Palm Sunday is is the Passion of Christ, and what's looming after uh, Pope Pius XI and Pope Pius XII is the Passion of the Church or Vatican II, right? So I'm just kind of setting the stage for how how it all rolls together because that's important later on. So um, hopefully I did that well enough. Um, I was rehearsing it in my mind before the podcast, and I always jumble up everything, and I regret it later. So hopefully I did okay. But I mean, you're going to tell me yes, I know that, but. I'll look back and, and like shake my head. I can't believe I didn't do a better no, job. That's how that works, right? No, it no, yeah. it totally made made sense to me. I, it, okay, well, thank you. It, 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 it was right. it's 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 thirteen minutes in, and I'm I'm already pretty mind blown. So, but in a good okay. way. So, so no, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> thank you. All right. Keep on keep on moving right. on. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. Now, um, so now we're up to Pope Pius the twelfth, and um, we're at the start of the Passion. So, um, let me get my notes here because um, all right. So in 19, that's not the right one. In 1947, Pope Pius XII issues the the encyclical Sacramentum Ordinis, and that is for the first time in church history he defines specifically what constitutes the form and matter of ordination rites. Um, so um, that's I, I was amazed to find that out, but it's true. Um, he I don't know exactly what he defined, but I know that he did define it in that in that document. Um, so here you have a focus on the priesthood, finally defining what is the priesthood, um, or what, what, sorry, what, defining what is the form and matter that, that constitutes the, the, the actual sacrament. Like if you did something wrong with the form and matter, you would know exactly now because of this document. I'm probably messing it up. Right. Um, anyway, right. he also, remember, he revises Holy Week. So in Holy Week, he, he goes through and he establishes um, the, uh, the washing of the feet. And if I, if I recall this right, let me make sure I get it right here. I think he moved um, Holy uh, Thursday mass to the evening time to more closely align with the time of the last supper right okay that's right okay so he does all those things all right that's just that's this fact i don't want to get into the issue of the debate with holy week that's not my intent but it's a historical fact that he did do those things okay so now if you go to church history now you have our lord at the last supper all right so if pope pius the 12th is the last pope 
um, then that's in effect like his last supper with the church. You know, not not a specific time, but like that's the last time he's with the papacy is with the church the last time with him. Okay, um, and then um, of course at the last supper, our Lord um, he washes the feet of the of this of the apostles, and he also institutes the priesthood there. So here you have this focus on finally defining what constitutes the ordination rites for the priesthood. And here you have our Lord instituting the priesthood here. Um, washing of the feet happens. And also you have the traitors present. So during the time of Pope Pius XII, you have Montini and Bonini and all the all the traitors, all the Judases are present amongst among him. They're part of his, his curia or wherever he has, they have positions and everything. Just like how Judas was present at the Last Supper, right? So, so there's a start. I'm probably missing a couple of things in there too, but but it's interesting. Um, um, okay, I'm, I'm going to move on from that. Okay, so I'm not too impressed with uh, with my I I made this brochure a long time ago. I would make it a little bit differently if I could do it again. So this part up here is Paul the Sixth wearing that uh, breastplate of the ephod, which is that Freemasonic slash uh, uh, high priest of Israel uh, square with with twelve stones in it. I'm going to I'm going to skip that because it's not too impressive. Um, but the next part is the um, the, the, the uh, uh, crowning of thorns. So if you look at, at the passion here, um, where is it? Where's my finger at? Oh, man. Okay, there it is. Okay, there's the crowning of our Lord with thorns. Okay, and then here you have um, Paul the Sixth. He's mocking the, the the papal crown. So here you, they're mocking our Lord for being the king. They're mocking him as a king. They put a crown on the floor. They bow down to him. Oh, you're the king. You're the king. So Paul VI is doing that as well by giving away the papal tiara and then putting on all kinds of goofy things. He puts on a wicker tiara and he laughs at himself, you know, like they, they, they mock now the fact that the, the Pope was the king by both getting rid of the tiara and then also by putting on goofy ones and just making a joke of it. So next after that, he goes to the United Nations in 1965 and he says there that um, the United Nations is the last hope for mankind or something like that, right? And then he also gives them his, uh, his his ring. He ge he gives them the papal ring as a token of like um, the. It has to be interpreted as some kind of submission to the the mission and the rule of the United Nations as like the last hope. I forget his exact words. It was pretty blasphemous. Um, but then below in church history, you have them saying, "We have no king but Caesar." Right. So the Jews back then. Remember Pont Pontius Pilate comes out and says, "Aren't you? Here's your king. Should I kill your king?" And they say, "We have no king but Caesar." Which they were lying. They, they they would never say that in ordinary circumstances, but they were just they just wanted to crucify. But anyway, there's there's that reference to, hey, we're not the authority, you know, the Romans are or the, the United Nations is. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. 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 Real, yeah, real yeah. quickly, I, I just have to mention that I, I did a podcast with Louis Vrecchio about that that UN um, that whole fiasco. It's really incredible. I mean, it's as you say, yeah. completely blasphemous, and I never connected it with you know we have no king but Caesar, but. That's exactly it. That, that is exactly what he did. He literally was like, yeah. yep, sorry, guys. The, the, you, we, we can't save you. Right. Ch church can't do anything, but UN, the UN they're, they're the solution. It really is. You're totally right. Boy, we have no king but Caesar. That That is that is. Well, right. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it's it's all lining up. So, you know, it's it's like shooting fish in a barrel. Once you have the idea that it's there, then you just go, well, I just, <laughs> just have to look and see. You know? Okay, so, okay, and then and soon after that, then, of course, um, our Lord scourged. Oh, this this one's amazing. Okay, our Lord. I don't have it on the, on the chart, but I'm going to mention it. So our Lord is um, scourged before he's condemned to death. So um, so of course when he's scourged, his body is all disfigured and torn and ripped open. Okay, so you go to uh, Vatican II is, is going on at this time in 62 to 65, and I forget which document it was. One of the documents reconstitutes what the church is, and they include all these schismatics into the definition of what the church is. Right. So like they, they right. I, I, you know, this mm -hmm. is like uh, where they say it subsists in, I can't remember, but, but the idea. The yeah, gentium, yeah, I you think, might be right. right. Yeah. Someone, I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure all these trads, someone will know. <laughs> um, comment. Yeah. yeah. Come on guys. Comment um, section. But so the <laughs> idea though, is that, that um, they redefined what the mystical body of Christ is. So you have the body of Christ, our Lord's uh, uh, sacred body um, in the time of Pilate being scourged and rent open. But so remember his mystical body is being, um, uh, doing the same thing because because the word schism means to tear or rip, right? That's what it actually means, right? So here you have, they're adding on all of the rips and tears to the mystical body of Christ. So now you have the mystical body of Isis is defigured, is disfigured by all the, the new definition of schisms and heresies that are now lopped onto it as like they should be there. So you have this disfiguration of the body in both instances. It's, it's sadly beautiful. Um, Okay, and then right after that, finally, okay, now we have um, 
Then they condemn our Lord to death. So he's, he's, he's pronounced to be executed. And there you have Paul VI in his document. I have, I have it written down here. His document is Sacrosanctum. Oh, where did I put it at? Yeah, that's Continue. the one. All right. So that was a 1962 document. And um, yeah, this is it. Yeah, 19. Oh, no, don't fall away from me. Okay, one second. Mm -hmm. Uh, 1963 document um and then um it called for the revision of the liturgy so that's where they pronounce death to the latin the tridentine mass because they say there like we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna remember the mass of course is our lord present on the altar it couldn't be more him than it is him it's, it's perfectly him so by by pronouncing a sentence on the mass you're pronouncing like it's like a, it's like a death sentence for the tridentine mass it's it's gonna go away we're gonna we're gonna take it away it's gone right um and that happened in 63. Now you have, um, I'm going to skip this next one too. I'm not very, that's not very clear to me. This is, I would not include that. But um, the next one after number seven, here you have St. Veronica. Now, so now our Lord's um, on the Via Della Rosa and he's going through, um, he's carrying the cross. He's, he's not crucified yet, but he's going through the, um, what's going to be the crucifixion later. He's, he's, he's going to Calvary. So St. Veronica wipes our Lord's face. Okay. So she has that, um, uh, that, that cloth. Oh, by the way, this is a, a little side note, but I just learned um, that St. Veronica, that wasn't her real name. You might know this, right? But but Veronica is Latin for Vera Icona, which means a true image. So like, so it's like, because mm -hmm. she had a true image of Christ, which is, I thought it was pretty neat. Anyway, so she, yeah, so she wipes that. Now, okay, in 1967, the Vatican takes the maniples away from the priests. They officially let out a document saying no more maniples, right? So St. Saint, Alphonsus, mm -hmm. he says that I'm going to quote St. Alphonsus here, if I can find it. Yeah. He says that uh, it is well known that the maniple is for the purpose of wiping away the tears that flowed from the eyes of the priest. For in former times, priests wept continually during the celebration of mass. So it had a practical function. And then later on, it has a symbolic function. But nonetheless, there's the wiping of our Lord's face. And there is what's used to wipe the priest's face being taken away. So there's this emphasis on the wiping of the face. I don't, this is you know, pretty neat. Okay. This next one's kind of confusing, but nonetheless, it's interesting. Um, our Lord says to the women of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but for your children. And I forget the exact words there, but we all know that part of the gospel. And then here you have Paul VI issuing Humani Vitae, which supposedly is supposed to stop. Oh, I know what he says. Did he say like, um, he says the, the, the wood is green now, but when it's dry, I think the reference is like, I can't remember the reference, but the reference is on the children, though. And I'm going to skip that one too, because you know what? Uh, this brochure is on my website. You can you can take it and read it for yourself. Um, uh, but um, I'm going to stay with the most convincing ones um, for a minute. <laughs> I apologize for doing that. Um, let's go to let's let's go to number nine. This, this is okay. So now our Lord's right at the foot of the cross, and they strip him of all his clothes, all of his tunic and everything. And of course, in in, in, um, in church history, they're stripping the churches of all the ornaments and all of the uh, the statues. It's all stripped. Um, then in 19, so after the stripping of our Lord, you have the crucifixion of Christ. And that is there um, in church history. That's the actual promulgation of the Novus Ordo. So that's when it actually starts. So they, they promised to revise the liturgy in 65, and now they're actually doing it in 69. Um, but the, the Tridentine Mass didn't die all at once. It took three years to be completely phased out. So you had from 69 to 71, it was the period that it, would, it, was, it was dying, right? The Tridentine Mass was dying just like our Lord was on the cross for three hours, right? So um, so moving forward to number 11, you have um, our Lord drinks from the, well, so in one gospel account, he says, I won't drink again. And then another gospel account, he does drink. And then he says, it's finished. But at the same time that's happening here, you have Novus Ordo instituting that cup. The, that's when they, they, they put it in place in 1970, right? So, so as the mass is dying, the true mass, they introduced this cup in 1970, just as our, as our Lord's dying, they give him his last drink on the on the cross. Okay, then you have number 12, um, after he, after he's dead, after our Lord dies, then the temple veil is ripped open uh, in the in the temple. And there around this time, they're taking temple veils away, or the, the tabernacle veils off the off the um off in the tabernacles and Novus Ordo churches all over the place. Okay, moving on after that, our Lord's taken down off the cross. And then in the 1970s, they removed the corpuses from all the crosses in Novus, in Novus Ordo churches. And then um, after that, you have, um, after the, the crucifixion's over and our Lord's placed in a tomb, the resurrection has already happened. Um, but um, Saint, uh, was it, um, 
St. Mary Magdalene, I believe, goes to the tomb and says, I can't, where have they taken my Lord, right? And then there's that famous quote by Pope Pius XII, where he prophesizes that the days are going to come, he says, when you're going to walk in and um, the tabernacle light's not going to be on, and you're going to say, where have they taken our Lord? There's, I'm sure many of us know that quote. I think I have the quote here. Let me read it for you real quick. Yeah, okay. So um, this is Pope Pius XII. He says, um, and in churches, Christians will search for the red lamp where Jesus awaits them, like the sinful woman crying out before the empty tomb, where have they taken him? Right. So when I was in the Novus Ordo, I remember this feeling because they would take the tabernacles, they'd move them all over the place. You never knew where they were. So you'd walk in there and go, okay, where'd they put our Lord at now? That's what we always said, right? We said it all the time. And so the same thing as her. Okay. Now the next one's really neat. I'm going to spend some time on this one because this one is, this is my blow. This blew my mind. Okay. Um, so after the passion's over, um, our Lord rises from the dead. But most of the, the world at that time, of Jerusalem, they didn't know it. Only his closest disciples did, but they didn't really believe it right away anyway. Okay. Um, in church history, the the restoration of the Tridentine Mass is the resurrection of Christ. So, and this is really neat. We like go through all the reasons. Um, so number one, um, well, first of all, let me do this brochure part. So in 1975, um, uh, SSPX with Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre, he goes to Rome on May 25th, which is, by the way, three and a half years to the day after Paul VI mandates the Novus Ordo on November 20th, 1971. That's, um, there's a lot of details that get into. I should probably skip those. But the point, though, is that he goes there for the, it's, it's a jubilee year. And so he goes to Rome for the jubilee, and he brings with him all the seminarians and priests and all the faithful from Icone who are trying to adhere to the, to the Trinity Mass and to the true faith and traditional faith. So in Rome, though, no one has seen the Tridentine Mass for three and a half years. Everyone thinks that it's dead, okay? And all of a sudden, it comes back again. And in, in the streets of the great city of Rome, they say over 100 masses in churches all over Rome. And what's neat about this is that because it's a, a jubilee year, pilgrims from all over the world, select few, but many pilgrims from all over the world are there to do the indulgences from the jubilee. And in their diocese as well, in their home diocese of America, France, South America, Asia, wherever they come from, they are there. Um, and um, uh, in their home diocese, the, the true mass was also killed as well there. The Novus Ordo has been implemented everywhere by 1975. The Trinity Mass is universally, almost universally gone. So when they go to Rome and they see the archbishop and the seminarians and priests um, saying the Trinity Mass everywhere, their effect was like, the effect, the effect would be like, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's here, it's, it's not dead, we, it's, it's, it's around again, right? Wait till I go home and tell everybody that I saw the Trinity Mass and I saw like the faith, they were real priests and they were giving traditional sermons and everything, you know? It would have been an amazing event. Um, so that's that's the resurrection, the beginning of the resurrection. Now, of course, I'm not saying that I'm, I agree with the SSP exposition, I, obviously I don't, but that is, um, nonetheless, it, was, it, was, it happened in 1975 when St. Vicontism was much less clear, I think, you know, back then. Okay, but now look, here we go from some really neat ones. Okay, so I'm just going to step back from those parallels for a second and um, move into the post-resurrection period of the Gospels because the Gospels don't end with the crucifixion. They end with the resurrection and a couple of accounts of the resurrection. Um, so remember our Lord, of course, famously walked through the walls into the upper room and they were all hiding there. Um, he walked into the room even the door was the door was locked and closed. Um, when I think about this, I think, well, he could have done that before the resurrection. He was God, but he chose to follow the natural laws of like, you know, like not walking through a wall. He chose to open the door and walk through it. He could have done it, that, but he didn't. But now he's choosing to do that. So the church likewise placed, um, so God, so what I'm saying is, is that our Lord placed boundaries on himself by creating the world with natural laws and he obeyed those boundaries. But after the resurrection, he didn't. Same thing with the church. She created canonical boundaries and rules for herself um, before Vatican II. Like, for instance, if you're a priest and you want to say mass in a different diocese, you had to get permission first. You had to go through the proper channels. You couldn't just do what we do now, just fly over to South America and say mass and fly back again, right? So, right. So, like, our, right. so the canonical boundaries the church self-imposed on herself, she no longer follows now. She walks through walls now, right? She, she walks through boundaries like she never did before. And just like our Lord would disappear and reappear, in the, God, in, the, in the resurrection accounts, so too do, do traditional priests do that now. Like, you know, like I'm going to fly to South Dakota and I'm going to fly to Missouri and I'm coming back here for Mass on Sunday. And like, that would never was the case before Vatican II, right? Um, like, you know, our Lord, our, he would disappear and appear very quickly. And so too now do priests do that amazingly. Um, and there's more, there's so many more. I'm, like, I'm forgetting them and I don't want to forget them. Um, oh, okay, another one. Um, this is a neat one too. 
um, mysteriously, in the resurrection accounts, the apostles would look right at him, and they quite weren't, weren't, weren't quite sure if it was him. Like in one account, it says like they dared not ask if it was him because they knew it was him. Like I'm trying to like, what does that mean? Like like how do I make sense of that? But so somehow, and it doesn't explain. I don't think it, I don't think it explains how that's the case. But um, that's how it is for us too. When you look at a picture of the mass, it's a picture of it. How do you know it's a real mass or not? Like you don't know right away. Like you know, it might look like a Tridentine mass. Everything looks fine, but I need to know more information, right? So just like before the crucifixion, they could recognize him on sight, and of course it was him. I'm looking at him after the resurrection. Not the case. Just like with us, with the church today, um, I, I could walk into a church, and if I was just dropped into a church somewhere, I wouldn't know if it was Val or not right away. I'd have to ask around and do some more research or something, right? Okay, another one is that um, our Lord had the wounds of his crucifixion still on his mystical body, his, his resurrected body, I mean. Um, just like the church now has, it bears the marks, even the mass bears the marks of Vatican II nonetheless. For instance, like um, we don't say the Pope's, the anti-Pope's name in the mass. There's a hole in the mass. Like it's, it's like an empty spot, right? I, like there's, there's, and so there's, there's evidence. What I'm saying is like the church is alive, but it's alive in a mystical way that's even we have a hard time defining like where's jurisdiction and all these things all these big questions we argue about like it's hard right um it's it's mystical it's different it's 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 not the same it was before vatican ii just like our lord's resurrected body was and this is this blew my mind and i i'm not trying to self-promote myself here but it's true remember on the road to emmaus when he was with the two disciples and he showed them at the end during the resurrection period he showed them that his whole life was prefigured by the old testament and here we are talking about how the church's history is prefigured by the Old Testament, like in the same period. And I'm like, whoa, I mean, I don't want to, I mean, it's just, it's another, it's another parallel, right? Nonetheless. So um, there's a couple more of those things, but, but it kind of blows my mind because I'm like, it makes a lot of sense to me. But anyway, so I also, I want to show this part of that continuum as well. Like, um, like the, the gospels have been paralleling church history all the way through and we went through the passion seemingly right and now we're in seemingly we're in the resurrection period of the of the church so that's my that's my analysis at least you know Oof, yeah boy but i think that's that's really fascinating i think as you said that the that after that the passion is is kind of the most interesting and and less heartbreaking i suppose i mean because yeah as you say i mean it, it, it's beautiful in a way but but very bitterly so right and it, it's very yeah. hard to to really grasp even still what happened even though it's 70 years later it's like okay this actually happened to the church you know and and now we just kind of have to come to grips with that but but it's really fascinating that the the yeah the different ways to look at it from from the resurrection side and it's and it is a beautiful thought i mean i guess it makes me wonder then you know i guess i guess we can't know i mean but I mean, right, it, right. if we are in the resurrection I, I think it's a really interesting point about the um about the 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 laws of the church what, what's what's the word the uh, oh yeah the, the can, canonical can, boundaries the canonical boundaries exactly that i mean as you say really a lot of them are gone and that that, that could lead down a whole yeah I know, know. a whole road <laughs> yeah. that i i don't think yeah. we probably want to go, right. go down but no. that's it's yeah. a really it, it's it's something that i i would love for people to think about and maybe talk to a priest about it talk to them yeah. about what does that mean what does that mean about you know what what are canonical laws and how can we possibly follow all of them today or or can we and so it's a it's a it's a very mm -hmm. interesting concept and something i think people should think about but but i guess you know i mean my question with this stuff is always okay and so what not so what but it's like okay so so what does this mean i mean is it just interesting or or is it something that we can can we put this to our lives can we can we learn from it spiritually i mean i guess i mean i guess i'm sure you ask yourself that too i mean what, what's the answer to yeah. that or or is there an answer to that <laughs> i don't know sure. <laughs> yeah um i mean i know that when i when i go to church and pray i can't help but contemplate constantly the church the church as the mystical body of christ in in the context of all these things i mean it's just hard not to um now I'm, i've done that so long my mind is, does it all the time and i forget what it's like not to do that <laughs> um, you know, um, so, um, but yeah, I mean, so, I mean, the first thing is it, use it to draw, use it to draw closer to God. That's mm -hmm. what I would say. And, um, but I don't know, <laughs> I don't know, you know, I mean, I mean, when I, when I first start thinking these things, I'm like, well, I guess my job is to at least like write them down, present them in some kind of way that I could relate them to others. And that seems to be my job. And I, 
always just taken it that as that's what I had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess we'll see. <laughs> I don't know. You know? Yeah. Well, well, and I think I think as you say, if nothing else, it really leads. It should lead us to. I don't know, respecting and caring for our faith more and wanting to learn more about it. I mean, I mean, really, it makes me want to go like, well, I kind of want to go read the Gospels and try to try to connect to yeah. you know, what's happened. I mean, it is really interesting. I think yeah. it does. It inspires in me this curiosity of of how deep it all is. I mean, how God does truly connect the past and the future and the present. And it's all known and it's all a plan. And I think it's not just interesting, but it's also extremely comforting, right? Because I mean, we can really say, well, yeah. God, God has a plan. I mean, I mean, it's it's not all it's not all going to be fun and games, but it's in God's hands. And I think, I guess that's all ultimately what we can learn from this. I think I mean, really just like, hey, look, yeah, here, look, guys, look here, here is a a uh, you know outline of a plan, and it just shows you that, that God <laughs> God has it under control. And boy, I mean, yeah. He tells us that Himself, right, in the Gospels, that you know they you know don't don't yeah. worry, be like the flowers of the fields, you know, just let me yep. take care of it. That's right. Thank you for that. Yeah, I need to remind you of that on a daily basis. Um, but you're absolutely right. That I, I completely agree. That's where I, I mean, if, you, if I had to boil down my thoughts, that would be it. I agree. Just God's in control. God's amazing. Um, I'm speechless with it. I mean, it's, it's just kind of stupid to try to try to explain God. Anyway, ugh, just start babbling. <laughs> yeah, you start babbling. Oh, so there's more, though, too. I mean, I, we, I, don't, I could go into there's There's really other right. cool things. There's this is. Um, I, I, I want to shift gears a little bit. So, man, so, I, so far I, I introduced two concepts. I introduced the church, church history as parallel by the Old Testament. And that was in our last podcast. And this one, I'm introducing the concept of the gospels and church history and the Old Testament, all kind of having like a, uh, a, a, a relationship of parallels. Right. Oh, and by the way, that reminds me of the Holy Trinity because like the gospels are about God, the son, right? The Holy, uh, the church history is God, the Holy ghost, because we live in the age of the Holy ghost guidance of the church. And the, the old Testament, I guess is in a way is like God, the father, you know, where um, I, it's hard to explain how, but it's, it does resonate. But so you yeah. have like, yeah. So you have like each of those three histories represents in some kind of way, one of the plus persons of the blessed Trinity. So I'm like, that was neat. Um, you know, it's almost like a trinity of parallels. Now, I don't want to, I'm not trying to create new doctrine here. I got to be careful. But anyway, it, it reminded me of that. Okay. So anyway, I, those, now there's a third concept that kind of stems from the first one. And I, I don't want to confuse anybody. So I'm trying to really separate it in your minds before I go into it because it's distinct from this. So forget about this for a second. Um, but um, in contemplating Vatican II, um, um, like we just talked about with um, the, the passion of the church right here, okay? Um, Vatican II gave us a new anti-priesthood or a false priesthood, a new sacraments, right? Or fake, fake sacraments, a new uh, a sacrifice, a fake one, uh, a new anti-pope, fake pope, a new anti-church, right? The Novus Ordo is not the Catholic Church. And, and so you have like all the things that Christ gave us, Vatican II kind of gave us in a, in a reverse or an anti kind of fashion. So then I started to think like the church kind of like reset after Vatican II. It's almost like... Um, um, we talk about the nine, the, the nine, and then there were three more who were added to the nine at some point, and I'm going to get this wrong, but it turned into the 12 at one point. Um, I, someone can correct me. I'm pretty sure I heard that many times on my journeys out of the Novus Ordo. There's the nine, then the three, and the 12. Well, there's the 12, okay? And then you have the the nine and the three after. They do like the apostles kind of do. They kind of spread out a little bit, and some of them argue with each other like the apostles did. Some of them start, um, they go somewhere and they, like St. Thomas went to India, but the church never took root in India. And some of the nine went and just had, had a little parish church somewhere and they didn't have a big, no big group started from them, right? So, but but some of the other nine, they uh, are bishops now and they're they they they're ordaining other priests and they're carrying on. Like some, for instance, some of the apostles had, what the churches they started took root better than some of the other apostles just the way it was. I mean, St. Thomas was not less holy than the other apostles, but for whatever reason, the church in India didn't really take root um, and so on. So anyway, what's neat about these is that, remember, um, we were just talking about canon law. So at the beginning of church history now, where we're, if we're going back to that time again, they had the Mosaic law. And now, like, like they have to, at the Council of Jerusalem, they're working out like, wait a minute, how much of the Mosaic law are we following now? Hmm just like we're doing with canon law now. I mean, like there's this whole issue of the law and like, is it applicable and what parts and how do we understand this and everything? So amazingly that's happening. 
Um, remember St. Peter? Um, he would not eat with the Gentile Christians. Um, he set himself apart from them. Well, there's, there's, a, certain, there's a certain group of uh, state of a contest leaning uh, uh, Catholics who won't share the communion rail with other Catholics. Right. So like you even have those kind of things like happening. You have now I'm not saying that there's a one for one correlation between like this Bishop St. Peter, this Bishop St. Paul. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying all the elements in place during the early church were present for us, too. Like in the early church, they had masses and homes at first. That's what we had to do after Vatican II. We had masses in our houses for a little bit. I mean, so like in many ways, not just so um, it depends which set of parallels you're looking at. Right. So if you're looking at the gospel the passion of the church, passion of Christ, then we are in the resurrection period of the church. If you're kind of like looking at it as like a, a second go through of like the beginning part of church history, then then you can look at it that way too. That, so like these, there's so much, and I, I could do like, I mean, there's so many different kinds of presentational aspects to this. You twist it that way, you twist it this way. But um, I've tried to document as many as I could. But I did want to share that thought with you because that's also very consoling as well. Um, well and it's suppose- something to, yeah, I suppose that would mean that that would mean probably that um, persecution would come next. Then I guess if you're looking at the yeah the early church, I mean, I, I mean, yeah. I guess that then then you are kind of at the two different parallels. I mean, is it a yes resurrection exactly. or is it a persecution yeah. or maybe both? I mean, I, I guess they both could happen yeah. at the same time. You know, I agree, right? So after the resurrection, the the Christians started to get persecuted in Jerusalem pretty badly. That's when the Saint Peter was thrown in right. prison and Saint James was killed. Okay. Um, what time are we at? We're at 41 minutes. Um, I have one more thing I want to throw in here, but I, I was going to ask you if, um, uh, instead of, I, it's, it's a, this is a whole other topic, but if, if it's okay, and maybe, you know, sometime in the future, I can come back on and try this one. Um, this is, um, this is also, this is, a, this is a whole other thing, but it ties in, everything ties together. Okay. So this is the history of Rome. The Roman Empire, the Roman Republic, it as parallel with the history of America. This blew my mind as well. All right. And the reason why this is important is because Rome ties in with the Old Testament and the New Testament right at the part where Christ comes. So like, so like Rome was like, Rome was insignificant and it was uh, irrelevant to the history of the Old Testament until the books of the Maccabees and afterwards. Right. Um, but at that time, though, that's when Rome started to interfere and become part of the history. That's why you have Roman soldiers at the crucifixion. And that's why you have the, 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 the Romans destroying the temple in Jerusalem. So I would like to tie in this. It does tie in at the end, but nonetheless, like this is amazing too. Um, this, this is for a future date if you're interested. Um, but I'm, I would like to show here that our American history has mirrored the Roman history in a chronological event by event way and it blew my mind. <laughs> right. <laughs> so like, so like, um, I, I, I can go through a little bit cause we have some time if, if that's okay. But, um, sure. so, so both you have, um, J- the Jamestown colony starts in 1607 and the Roman colony by Romulus and, Romulus and Remus starts in 1753. And they're both ruled by kings until a certain points. You can see on the graph there where the king period stops, right? Um, then you have the Republic is formed in Rome, 509, and then the American Republic, 1776. Um, and then you have, uh, do you ever hear, you ever hear the comparison of Cincinnatus and George Washington before? Maybe, um, okay. No. So Cincinnati, Cincinnatus, he, he's actually, there's a statue in Cincinnati of George Washington as Cincinnatus. Like people, <laughs> if like Google it, like you'll find all kinds of people saying and seeing this this is a lot of this stuff is people have seen before for a long time right like um i think some of the early americans compared washington to that but nonetheless it's chronologically fits nonetheless so it's like it's amazing um so cincinnatus he was called up to defend rome and he could have stayed on and kept his power but he went back to his farm in some kind of display of like civic virtue like see I, i'm so I, I believe in the Republic so much that I, I want to give back power, even though I could keep more for myself. I'll go back to, and work hard on the farm instead of being rich and powerful. Well, George Washington similarly did the same thing. After the Revolutionary War, he went back to Mount Vernon. And then later on, he was called to be president, just like Cincinnati was called to be the, the consul after that. Um, the 12 Tables of Rome was the, the basis for their law. And we have the Constitution happening up in uh, American history. You have the sack of Washington, D.C. and the sack of Rome. Rome was sacked two times once in its earliest tree and way much, much later at the fall of Rome in the 400s AD, which is way off this chart. But there's a sack of Rome. And then you have Rome building their um, their road system starts in 312. And we build the railroad system. We're starting there in, in the 1800s. 
Um, and then you have the World Wars or the Punic Wars for the Romans. The Punic Wars launched them onto the international scene and brought them off of their peninsula into the into the, like you know meeting with other empires like the Carthaginians and the Greeks and eventually the 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 the, the Jews eventually. Um, then you have the Gracchi brothers. So the Gracchi brothers were two um, uh, brothers um, who were um, social reformers. They wanted to bring like more rights to the people and, and they were dealing with land rights. But one of them was very eloquent and lofty and the other one was fiery and emotional, but they both had the same cause. And they both were part of the new uh, rich up middle class. So like for instance, in the Romans used to have two classes, um, the patriarchs and the plebeians, but um, the Gracchi brothers came from the plebeian class that were war heroes and they became very rich and powerful but not quite the patrician class, right? So in church history, you have the Kennedy brothers. They're Irish immigrants. They're not part of the initial American ruling class, which is the wasps, the white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. The Kennedys, they found a place to be, have power and influence, even though they're Irish immigrant family. But the Kennedys, same thing. Uh, JFK is eloquent. He's very lofty in his speech. And um, uh, what's, the other, what's his brother's name? Um, Robert. Uh, John. Robert, yeah, right, yeah. RFK, Robert, Robert Kennedy is more fiery and emotional. Um, both of them were assassinated, just like the Gracchi's were. Right, the Gracchi's were assassinated one, and then the other. Kennedy's one, and the other. Right, and at the same time as the Kennedys, you have Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, who are also a manifestation of the Gracchi's in 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 American history. Because uh, um, Martin Luther is very eloquent. I have a dream, right? And then Malcolm X is all fiery and in your face. They're like a Gracchi. They're both both assassinated as well. Right. So anyway, then you have like it goes it goes on and on. Right. It goes on. I, I should do a podcast if you want to, but it goes on to the end where you have. Augustus Caesar, he says, listen, Rome has become a place of debauchery and, um, and corruption. We need to go back to the, the, the values that made Rome great in the first place. And then you have Donald Trump coming along saying, make America great again, right at the same time, right? And you have Obama and Cleopatra, you have uh, uh, Romans in Gaul, you have Americans in Iraq, which is um, Caesar and Bush. Anyway, it's all there. It's amazing. <laughs> okay. Um, and so if I could, I could show you, I, I probably should, I just did most of it right now, but there's a lot more detail to it. But what it implies though, is that it implies that, um, that we can tra you can trace American history, even in our current events. And what's so significant about that is that, um, okay, um, the, Roman, the Romans are the ones who destroyed the Jewish temple in 70 AD. Now, remember though, the Jewish temple was no longer God's house anymore because they rejected Christ. So, um, the Jews, though, thought they were still God's people, and they were operating as if they were. The Christians had left by this time. Um, most of them had left. Um, but for us right now, the Vatican is the same thing. So, like, remember the Vatican in St. Peter's Basilica used to be, used to be God's, like, you know, God's, uh, God, I mean, God would dwell in there because he was in the tabernacle, because they had a true pope, because the church was there, but now it's all gone, right? It's like the same thing happened to the Jews in the temple that happened to us. And so like the relationship that the early Christians had with the Jews is much like the relationship we have with now with the Novus Ordo. Um, so like, if you can imagine before Christ came, um, all the Jews were the same, but after our Lord came and some of the Jews started to believe in him, at first they were like, they seemed exactly the same as their relatives, except for that one belief, the belief that Christ was the Messiah. And then in time, the implications of that belief changed their life completely as they you know, as, as more and more became aware, same thing now with Novus Ordo. Like when, when I first came out of the Novus Ordo, I didn't quite understand, like I didn't quite understand the, the, the full implications of what that means. So much so now that even though like we have so much in common with the Novus Ordos, they're separate and apart from us. And as time goes on, it, it, it intensifies, right? And so in the Old Testament, when God destroyed the temple, that was the clear sign that the Old Testament people and the Old Testament covenant was over and the Jews had lost God's favor, just like how then the parallel would be the destruction of the Vatican, um, you know, also would, would give the same kind of thing. Like everyone who still thinks that's a church would have to kind of understand like, oh, it's gone now, <laughs> you know, like it's over, right? But so the key though is that the Romans do that, right? The Romans are the ones who destroy the temple. So one more thing, I'm probably lowering your head with so much stuff, I apologize. <laughs> okay, um, all right, all right. Um, one more thing is that, um, it was um, okay. The year, the year that the Romans did that in seventy AD, just prior, they had a, a year of in, intense political in, instability and turmoil in the Roman Empire, because Nero, 
he was deposed in 68 AD, and there was a, there was a crisis of leadership in Rome, where you had four emperors try to claim the throne in one year. It was complete anarchy in Rome. Um, all of the Roman institutions were turned against each other. It, it'd be akin to a constitutional crisis now, where like every level of government was at each other's throats for dominance. Like they they wanted to get that top seat. Um, and so after Rome went through that year of four emperors, after they they came out of it, right? Um, then the last one standing was Emperor Vespasian, and he sent uh, his son to go destroy the temple. Um, and so by by my analysis, right, by my own personal opinion, opinion analysis, when I look at these parallels, both in church history and with Roman America, America is seemingly about to enter that stage now, <laughs> right? The year of four, the year, I guess you'd have to say the year of four presidents. Now, I, I mean, there's nothing, I mean, I have reasons why I say that. I mean, everything else, I there's a lot. There's a lot more to it than that. But um, but uh, if 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 things get really crazy in the next couple months in America, just keep that in mind. Maybe that's what maybe that's what's happening in the year of four presidents. So we'll see. I mean, that's I'll just throw it out there and whatever. If I'm wrong, then that, I just need humbled. If I'm right, then then these are from God. So anyway, I'm done. No, it's Watts. That is interesting. Okay. And, it, and it definitely right. sounds like we, we need to have you on for another podcast to, to, to talk about that in detail, because that is something that, uh, okay. I, I, speaking for myself, I, I am interested in. I mean, I, I love I mean, I love Roman history, and, and I think it's and I, I, oh, I mean, good. I'm sure okay. many people have considered I, I, I don't know many details about it. So when I say love it, I, I mean, that's I'm on the surface yeah. level. Love it. But um, okay. All right. but I, I, I know there are people obviously who talk about the comparisons of America and Rome and, and yeah. how, how civilizations fall, et cetera. But I'd never seen one that had, I'd never seen such a detailed parallel list that that is really fascinating. It's something that I'd be very interested to dig into, uh, into more because I think that, I mean, I, I, I often, I often think that, that America really quote unquote lost its soul when they dropped the um, atomic bombs. But I think that they, they almost had a second chance in a way with the, with the Kennedys and then, well, believe whatever you want about that. I mean, I, I think the government killed them. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, that's and, what and, killed the, the, the Grack guys got killed by the government too. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. And you wonder why America, you know, since the sixties has <laughs> consistently fallen downwards and that's, uh, uh, you know, you, you kill your own that are maybe your last chance at an actual, <laughs> good leadership, you know, who actually want to, you know, the best for your country, not saying they were moral men, but right, right, right. I understand. Yeah. They love the country, but, but no, yeah. no, it's, it's wow. Dominic is always, it's, it's, it's amazingly fascinating. I mean, I, as you said, my brain is kind of, I know, Sorry. You know, I'm, I'm leaking out of my ears right now, you know, but, <laughs> but no, I mean, I really, really interesting. It's something that, um, I'll have to come back and, and watch again. Um, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. And I guess, where can people, I mean, a couple of questions that where can people find more of this material? Can they, can they download these sheets? Yeah. Can they, you know, how do they get this stuff? Oh, absolutely. Um, I have a, so I made a video on this particular topic here, America, Rome. Um, and that's on my YouTube channel, which is Mac. Just go to YouTube and type in Maccabean uprising and you'll see a picture of our lady Guadalupe. That's me. And then also if you go to um, www.maccabeanuprising.com, then you can go there and um, this on the top of the uh, the, of the web pages menus and you can find this look for Roman America and I have separate PDF files each one's about four or five pages of me trying to explain in words you know what the parallels are um, with them and I go into details with some of the figures like Pompey and um, and Julius Caesar and um, you know and then their equivalents in American history um, my yeah, these ones are a little fuzzier though. Like they 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 they're, they're a little more amorphous than church history in the Old Testament, but still mm -hmm. nonetheless like it's it's they're they're there. Um so you can find them there. Yeah, that's where you can go. Those two sites um are there, yeah. But the same question then I guess I mean for the 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 primary topic, I mean, is that something people can find at the on your YouTube channel yep. and on the website as well? Yep. All, all of it's there. Yep, exactly. Yep. You can find the the uh, restoration of the mass and the resurrection parallels. You can find the council of Trent and the the transfiguration of our Lord. All of those are there, yeah, um, and other ones too, like some other, like <laughs> there's so many cool ones, but yeah, they're all there. Um, yes, sir. Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. You, you could you could go on forever. I I know it, Dominic. Yeah. I appreciate it. Well, well, and the second question then how how can people support you? Because I know that's something that we've talked about before in the past, and it's something that sure you need. Um, I, I mean, this this is clearly a lot of work, and and you know let's say best cases, let's say worst case, worst case is you're, you're kind of a crazy guy who spends a lot of time putting together kind of crazy lists of things that are 
interesting. That that's kind of the worst case, right? But best right, case yeah. is, like you said, best case is really you are you're someone who who is making connections that no one else is making, or few people are making, not anymore at least, and that is something that they maybe. God wants us to know. And, and I think that 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 is a real possibility. And if that's the case, and it's very possibly somewhere in the middle. But I think that's something that we need to support. So so how can people support you? Oh wow. Um well I so amazingly, God gave um my wife a very amazing income. When this all started, um it all started seven years ago. And um well, first of all, by the way, what's playing behind me is um we did okay, we did a history series. Oh, in case anyone don't know, I also have a cartoon uh, production. There's our website it's called Glorious Heritage Cartoons. And um, we're just making all the cartoons for free right now because I think it's like the business model didn't work very much with people buying them. And so instead of hiding them behind paywalls, we just made them free for you to enjoy. So just go to um, our YouTube channel, Glorious Heritage on YouTube, and you can find the cartoons there um, for free. But if you want to if you want to teach your kids some Catholic history, we have um, – we're, right now, we're producing a 162-topic run-through of church history from start to finish, and it's we have like that's, that's Mr. Charity. He's a cartoon explainer, and he goes through um, in 10 minutes. He'll talk about each of these topics one by one. We also have um, 170-some page printables that we charge 20 bucks for that accompanies the video. So if you don't want to get that, it's for you can watch the videos for free. But if you want to have these printables, there's one of the versions that's a printable right there. And uh, you can there's questions on them and this very basic information for the kids. So that would be 20 bucks if you want to download that. So that's one way to support us, right? One way to support us is to like, you know, get the $20 printable set. But um if you don't want that, um oh, I was talking before about my wife. Okay. Um so when this all started happening, um, we were realizing we had to get out of the Novus Ordo. At the same time, um, um, we wanted to move to find the sacraments because we realized that we had no real sacraments now. Um, and so um, as that was happening, I started seeing these parallels as well, right? So so my wife starts um, this one job on the internet. It wasn't even a job. She's just kind of toying around with this one little uh, club or some little book club. And in a couple of months, she ended up quadrupling my income, which I was, we were all astonished at. And it was sustained. It was month after month. So um, I quit my job and I focused on this full time. I, I prayed about it. I thought, I guess I have to be doing this because I need to document this and make it credible because I was so convinced by it. Um, so I, I started doing that and we her and she was stay at home. We were both stay at home, uh, mom and dad. And so for the last seven years, it's been really good. But now for the last year, her income has been nosediving. So the question now is, now what? So um, um, my point, though, in this is, is that um, if you want to support us, this would be a great time to do it because <laughs> now I really need it, <laughs> you know. Um, but, um, uh, you know, I'm looking at different jobs to get. So, you know, I'll, I'll go work. But my point, I don't know. But anyway, the point is, if you want to support us, this is a great time. Um, and you could just email me. if I mean, I'm not going to say no to a donation. So, you know, but, I, but at the same time, I don't want to charge for, any, for this stuff. I want it to be free so everyone can kind of access, access it. So there's but, there's the answer. So, but yeah. I think that I think it's one of those things too that that you know I, I'm totally with you. I mean, I, I think paywalls kind of offer their own issues and whatnot, and it's fine if people want to do paywalls. But but I like the ability to have free material that people can just go and watch if they, if yeah. they don't have if they don't have money to give. But I, I really think I mean think about it this way. And everyone watching, really think about it this way. If you can give five bucks a month on Patreon, five bucks. I mean, truly five bucks, 10 bucks, a 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 50 bucks, obviously is better. But I mean, let's say five bucks and you can support a really good, you know, company person too, of course, you know, that, that is creating content that you know is trustworthy and know is good that, you know, your children can watch that You can watch. Where else can you find that? Tell me, right. tell, tell me right <laughs> now. I mean, and you can name on one hand, the list of right. content creators that you can absolutely trust. So, who else is going to do it? And I know people, unfortunately, we are all cheap. We don't want to pay for, for content or pay for anything, but we pay for Amazon, right? We pay for Netflix. We pay for YouTube premium, whatever. And, and, and I think we need to understand that if we do this and if we support people like you, Glorious Heritage, if we do that and then that has success, you're going to have more people doing it. Mm -hmm. It's just how it works. I mean, if that grows, it will it will bring you know forth other material and then our children you know as the years go on will have more and more material that they can that they can watch or read or color etc 
that we know absolutely that we can trust. And I know, Dominic, I guarantee you, you you've, you've raised several children, homeschooled, I believe. Mm-hmm. And most of the material that you find is has to be before 1958, right? And that's yeah. fine. Most of right. it's totally fine. Totally great. But eventually, it's like some of it is just simply outdated it's just (laughs) it's just like you can't i mean more it's morally fine of course no question about it but it's like it's 1958 it's a different world and i think we need to understand that we need to say look we're we're not in the catacombs anymore i love this idea of, of we're kind of in this resurrection stage and i totally buy into that that we're not hiding under rocks anymore we we have to be the ones who create now and who make and build and if we're gonna do that then, you know, if you can't do that, then give five bucks a month to, to <laughs> Glorious Heritage. I mean, it's not asking that much. I mean, you know, if you can't have one coffee for a day because you're giving five bucks to Glorious Heritage, I mean, please, guys, I mean, I, I really beg of you, go over to their Patreon, five bucks a month and do it right now. Just 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 seriously. Oh, I, that's I, nice. I'm going to yeah. attach a link in, in the in the show because because it does it does matter. And again, and, and, and of course, everyone understands. Yeah, if you got to go get a job, then you got to go get a job. But but then you won't be able to make as much content no, or, or maybe no, none. Yeah. And that's no, just yeah. how this stuff works. And so if yeah. you can't make it, then OK, then maybe no one will. Or maybe yeah. somebody maybe somebody will. And, but, you know, if someone's yeah, right. doing it, we got to support that people. We got to yeah. support it. So people, please, 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 please go and support it. Well, thank you. I um, I won't say no. Um, and um yeah, but no, exactly. It takes a lot of time to make those cartoons and to produce. Like we have so many ideas for Glorious Heritage and I, I can't wait to do them, but it just takes time. Oof. And um, yeah, so uh, one more thing I forgot to mention in terms of um, uh, being able to support us is that right now I'm uh, I'm finally writing a, a reader-friendly book for these whole all these phenomena, all these parallels of all different kinds. I want to make it like a 350-page uh, book. You can buy like an Amazon-style book. Um and so, you know, then I'll charge like 25 bucks for it or something. Um, but, you know, if you don't want to buy the book, you can go onto our website and download the 500-page PDF. But that is not going to be reader-friendly. And, I'm, you know, I'm trying to make this this other one like something you can just pick up and introduce yourself to the concept because of the book. So look look out for that as well because that, that I'm excited about that. But any, apart from that, though, I thank you very much for your your promotion and your, your time. Um, Thank you. You've been a big part of, you've been the only reason why um, these, these have broken out into a wider audience. So I really thank you a lot for that. And by the way, right. Like if you didn't do this, then, then, you know, it has, there's, there's, there's dominoes that fall. Like, you know, I, I wouldn't be here. And so like, I mean, we we create these networks for each other. Yeah. um, And it's, it's, that's the way to go. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. And I mean, and I, and I think, and for those out there too, you know, who who have ideas and who have creativity, don't be afraid to give it a shot. I mean, I mean, reach out to Dominic and, and or me and say, hey, I had it. Here's an idea, or hey, can I help? And, and I mean, I can't say for sure you can, and I can't say for sure you can help Dominic, but yeah, the heck, you know, I mean, you could definitely yeah. ask. I mean, these are things again. We need to get get out of this laziness and this malaise. This, you know, oh, you know, it's fine. I'm fine watching free content on YouTube. Catholic Family Podcast is great. You know, it's really nice to watch. So, yeah, it is. And you know what? It takes a lot of time. Same with Glorious Heritage. I mean, I, I've helped you guys in a couple of these, uh, mm-hmm. a little bit, a little bit yeah, on, on yeah. some of these cartoons. It's it's crazy how much the time this stuff takes. And that that's literally just the audio side of it. So the, the visual side, I can't even fathom. So I, I fold that and I, and I hope people understand that too. Again, if you want good content, especially for your children, this is really a lot for parents out there. If you want good content, one does, of course you do. You're all good parents. So help support the only group of people who are trying to, to create good children's content. It's that simple. It really is that simple. So, so I don't want to hear any excuses. I, I want to see a very big increase in the, in the Patreon support. If not, then I'm going to come knocking at your doors. I, I, I don't even know what to do next, but, but uh, right. Dominic, it's, okay. Dominic, no, I, it's not okay. I'm, I'm not, I'm not okay with it. Dominic. We have to be, I'm going to be, we got to be tougher. Right. We're going to strong arm. We're going to strong right. arm them into this, but, but no, I, I greatly appreciate it. Dominic as always. I, I'm looking forward to, to more shows. I mean, and this stuff is, is super fascinating. It's, it's a, uh, it really gets me thinking again. I, I like history. I enjoy this type of, of thought, you know, this type of, well, that's an interesting connection, you know, and, and it's funny because yeah. I mean, we just talked for an hour, but I really, truly feel like we barely even kind of scratched the surface. It's true. It's true. We, we didn't. <laughs> There's a lot. Yep. I agree. Um, 
Well, thank you. I mean, I, uh, I, I'll just I'll save it for that. Maybe we can do another one later on. I look forward to that. And thank you again so much. I really super appreciate it. Perfect. Thanks. Yeah. Dominic, hey guys, go check him out at Maccabean Uprising on YouTube. Again, we'll attach links to the YouTube channel and to the Patreon. Go support it. And um, Glorious Heritage as well. Uh, a lot of stuff that Dominic does and has done. We'll, we'll definitely keep an eye out for when he publishes his book so that you can get that as well. Um, and stay tuned for, for future podcasts. Uh, please like, share, subscribe, comment, all that stuff. Let us know what you think about these parallels. I mean, do you think they're – are they hogwash? Are they really cool? Are they – inspiring i mean i mean i'm really truly interested to hear what what do you think i mean i'm sure dominic would be as well so mm -hmm. let us know what you think about them i mean and um let us know if you've found any yourself i mean what what are parallels yeah. that you have yeah. seen in history and that, that'd be interesting as well so so we'll look forward yeah. to that and maybe we'll look through those comments and um maybe hey maybe we'll talk about a couple of them in a in an upcoming awesome. show dominic awesome. until next time god bless all right you. kevin thank you